Welcome to episode 36 of A Shot of Business Central and a Beer Podcast, the only show that helps you master Business Central ERP software while learning a little bit about beer in the process. On this episode, we've got the latest Business Central news. Simeon White joins us in the studio to talk about Business Central security, and we're going to be sipping on one of Mexico's finest beers. So uh, let's get started. Hi, you know, how's everybody doing? Pretty, pretty good. Uh, happy to have Simeon joining us today. Just like to give a little quick little intro here. And uh, so Simeon White, he's a business application consultant uh, at Solution Systems for uh, nearly 10 years, let's call it. Uh, prior to joining Solution Systems, Simeon served as the Dynamics NAV System Administrator at an end user organization. Uh, we worked on security, training, uh, integration, development, and, and deployment support. Um, specialties are upgrade projects, so moving from any version of NAV to Business Central, and also NAV and Business Central user security and management, which is why he's joining us today. So today uh, we're going to kind of talk about the, our feature spotlight and get some deep insights from Simeon on role center management and permission set management. So thanks for joining us today, Simeon. Glad to have you here. Thanks, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> so and and I think we're you know we're going to be uh, I I kind of phrase it as uh, we're going to go through the goods, the bads, and the uglies of user security management uh, in Business Central. Simeon will share with us some of his uh, Interesting. There's some ugly. Insights. Yeah. Oh, there, there's know. some ugly, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> First, let's talk about beer. <laughs> yeah. We You're are right, drinking. Getting what? right in your wheelhouse this month, huh? We are, yep. We are drinking Modelo Especial. So. I appreciate you not bringing in Modelo Negro. Yep. Which, uh, which I, I would have assumed you would have based on your recent tendency to bring in <laughs> dark, uh, heavy beers. Yeah. So this is a golden, full-flavored, Pilsner-style lager with a clean, crisp finish. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Uh, I started out drinking like Corona, so this is, like you said, directly in my wheelhouse. I don't know how I've morphed into this other stronger beer, but a little bit of an interesting backstory on Motel. Well, first, why I chose this beer. One... Springtime, right? This is our first podcast for spring. This is a good spring-summer beer, in my opinion. Very light. It is. It is spring. And two, I know Simeon because the family is a fan of the Mexican culture. <laughs> so we went with a Mexican beer. <laughs> I love Modelo, actually. It's good stuff, yeah. I should have brought the limes, though. I didn't think about it. So a little backstory on Modelo. And they were created in 1925, the people of Tacuba, Mexico. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, created a beer to celebrate a revolution, and now Modelo is the fastest growing beer in America. That is fastest growing beer in America. It's on their website, but it's in quotes. Oh, so I don't know if it means there's some like qualification of yeah, maybe fastest amongst, growing beer yeah, amongst exactly. uh, forty to forty four year olds right, in the southwest though. region or something. Mm, Budweiser, find anything, no, Budweiser so. is the king of beers. Those are right on the game. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, it's 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 light. It's four point four percent alcohol, one hundred and forty four calories in one bottle. I can keep my boyish figure, so it's it's not bad. Simeon, you like Modelo? Simeon, can you give us your opinion of the Modelo en Espanol, por favor? Uh, 
Me gusta el modelo, uh, me encanta el sabor y está muy bien. Sí, sí, muy bien. Sí, muy bien. Yeah, see. Sí. Everybody agree? Yeah, yeah. see. Sí. Me on a board. <laughs> no, I like Modelo. Modelo's a good beer. I like Modelo uh, more than Corona. Um, I don't know why. It just tastes a little higher. It's just a little better. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's just the packaging or the shape of the bottle. Yeah. Ken, do you know what Modelo Especial means in, in, in English? I do. Modelo Special. Special beer. Special beer. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Not bad. He forgot to put his back. All right. So we'll get into the reviews later. We want to enjoy one or two of these cold ones. And then uh, coming up, what do we talk about? The shot? Yeah, we're, we're going to go next. through some news, some partner news, some customer news. Uh, even a special announcement. Yeah. Stay uh, tuned. Ooh. Cliffhanger. Back for the shot of Business Central and a beer, and we've got a couple news and tidbits today. Uh, first up, we're going to talk about the 19.5 update. Uh, it's rolling out right now, I think, right? It's not. It's yeah, actively, end of March, rolling of March. out. Yep. I think uh, you know, we can call this one a minor update. Yeah, which is typical right before right before a major release. It's not too much. I saw that there's yeah, there's a bunch of hot fixes like 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 always and there's a localization update for Norway and India. Ken, you got any hot fixes you wanna single out or anything? No, just no. about I counted about eleven platform hot fixes, fifty two application hot fixes. Um, so like I said, a relatively minor uh, release, like as you said, before the month before a major update. Yeah, I guess kind of kind of expected. These are a lot of these are a lot of these are truly things that have been support issues reported that they've resolved. Yeah. So they want to get them rolled out as soon as possible. But um, yeah, the next kind of leading that leads us kind of into uh, 2022 wave one, which is scheduled for release in April. Mm -hmm. uh, usually the second half of April. Uh, is when we expect um, yeah. the major releases to come out. Microsoft's getting a lot better. Used to be it's coming out in April and, mm -hmm. and go through April and May, sometimes May. And, yeah. you know, yeah. So updated. just a reminder, you know, if you're running Business Central online and you want to kind of take a preview and make sure you're not going to have any issues with the update, you can kind of go do make a create a new sandbox and apply that new update version 20 under the hood um, to your environment. You... Uh, Microsoft is actively already doing what they call automatic extension validation checks. So it's possible that you may have received, received an email notification from Microsoft indicating that your extensions are not compatible with version 20.1 point whatever. Is this, is, it the, is this the first time they've, they've done that? I, I don't know if I remember them doing it. In the I believe I it is, that. yeah. I believe as part of the last thing they announced, they were going to start proactively doing this. And the reason they're doing it, so basically they're just quietly approximately a month, a month ahead of the release, uh, running all of the environments through a validation check yeah. and identifying if there's any incompatibility issues so that when April gets here, uh, partners and customers have time to resolve those issues and rerun the test to make sure that they're going to not have any yeah. business disruption or delayed uh, implementation right. of those updates. 
Now, Simeon, you've worked That's on great. the support side of things before yep. in the past. Have you noticed in the past where updates come out and there's some issues with? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Come out and your extension's not valid and the update doesn't go through and whatnot. Yeah, you're dead in dead in the water right there. Same thing with permissions. Yeah, yeah we had up. we had a, and we had an interesting one. Um, you know, this this month uh, for one of our clients. So, what they had wanted is they wanted a uh, a purchase order number on the job record. Uh, and, and uh, you know, that's handled, it's called external document number on like a sales order header. And they're like, well, we want that on a job. So we added a field, external document number to the job. Well, version 20 now, Microsoft has added the external document number as a standard field mm -hmm. to the job record, as well as shipping, ship to address and build to and, and some other things. So we had... They had developed some custom fields on the job to account for those missing fields. Now we have a conflict. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have to figure out what do we do? Do we rename our custom fields? Do we have to start using the new fields but maybe change some other extensions that reference those fields? And um, so, so, so it, it could be just oh, hey, you're missing a variable here, mm -hmm. and you need to just go quick, quickly fix this, this extension you have. Some of them are very quick and very easy, right. but it's possible that some of them could require some process reengineering uh, if you run into an issue uh, like this. And like we said before, it's nice that it's, they're letting you know a month early yeah. so that we can be tested and whatnot. All yep. right. Anything else with 20.0, Ken? No. I think uh, stay tuned. We're excited to see it coming out. There's going to be some, some new features and functionality uh, that we're looking forward to, so should be nice. All right. Now, the next couple things we're going to talk just a little bit about, maybe uh, give some tidbits and facts about them, but uh, Ken and I are planning in the next week or two to actually do a special segment on uh, Business Central Universal Code Initiative, the uh, CSP Partner Network that is... Is, is changing and the new commerce experience that Microsoft has, has introduced yeah so yeah so we're kind of lumping these all under the uh, new you know 2022 Microsoft partner initiatives yeah. um, and they do impact customers so we thought it would be more appropriate to do a special podcast so we're gonna touch on each of these topics here uh, but we're going to do kind of a more deep dive on, on, the, on the impact of some of these things mm -hmm. and uh, maybe what the motivations were and, you know, the, like I said, what, what it means for a customer and what it means for a partner. Right. So I guess the reasoning behind the whole Business Central Universal Code Initiative, I guess we can start with that one. Uh, I found it interesting is one of Microsoft's objectives is all future customers should be able to choose Dynamics 365 Business Central online and find the apps they need on Microsoft App Source. So I, I took this as what they're saying is no matter the code that your software has, no matter what you're running, it should be easy enough to eventually convert to Business Central online. Right? I, I think we all know Microsoft is cloud-first yeah. company now, and I think a lot of the reasoning behind whatever they do is to push cloud somewhere or another so well so and let's but let's let's take a step back and say you know so for someone like Simeon who may not be scouring the news like we do 
here every day, um, is what is the universal code in initiative and who does it apply to? So first of all, it, it, it applies to any company that is running business central. And it applies to whether you're running it on-premise or online. And what it's going to do is it's going to add additional fees to your enhancement plan fee or your license, annual license fee, if you have not deployed 100% quote cloud ready extensions or enhancements. Yes. Simply put, if you are gonna run, if you decide after April 1st, 2022, to run Business Central on-premise 2014, as an easy example, and you're going to keep keep modified objects in your environment, you will now have to pay an additional fee to Microsoft for that privilege. Yes. Wow, that's brutal. Well, we'll debate if it's good or not, I guess, in the, in the special segment it, it podcast. It sounds brutal. But at first, at first yes. There's a, there's that, that's the instinct right there, right? <laughs> I love it. It might be the consensus, yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think maybe uh, you just spoke for many people. Um, but but yeah, so Microsoft's going to you know tell you why you're why they're doing it. And I think in the in a business central online world, uh, there are certain things that you have to do when you build an app to make it cloud ready, right, and and efficient and whatnot, um, and make sure that it could be deployed into any any environment. Um, and I can see why when Microsoft is hosting these in, these things that that makes sense. I think what we're going to dive deeper into is, is why would this be applicable for someone who's running it on premise, right. right? That's what we're going to have to have to debate a little bit further, and yeah. uh, that'll that'll be uh, later in the special podcast. Yeah. So that one directly affects customers. Next up, directly affects partners. Starting in October 2022, the Microsoft Partner Network, as we know it, will become the Microsoft Cloud Partner Program. Uh, under the Microsoft Cloud Partner Program, partners are going to be classified as either a base member or a solutions partner. And then, uh, you know, they're going to give, based on, uh, what is it, based on how many uh, subscriptions you sell, how many certifications your employees have, and things like that, you're going to get points awarded to, to you. And uh, this will determine whether or not, you know, you're a base solution customer or a partner or a specialty slash expert customer good or bad i don't know i guess it's up for debate um, we are yeah and well and we'll debate it and we'll dive well dive into it um yeah. at a high level what it means is that the new partner network designations and competencies that they created about 24 months ago apparently i guess weren't Work cutting it yeah. uh so i'm not sure uh what happened there but you know they've revamped the program now. Um, some additional hoops for partners to jump through. Um, yeah, at first glance, I mean, uh, I, th I think they want partners to be more multifaceted, selling multiple solutions instead of focusing just on one, because you get more points based on the more solutions you sell. But and you need generally speaking, more people to be able to support more solutions, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So without getting too far down the road, if you're a smaller partner, this could have a serious impact. Yeah, um, absolutely. Right. So. 
right, last but not least, the, one headed with them, Kay? Yeah, last but not least, <laughs> uh, the new commerce experience. Um, and this is if you're sell, if you're running uh, licenses of uh, any Microsoft Cloud licenses, mm-hmm. Office 365, Business Central, Dynamics 365, Sales, um, anything, Everything, right? Yeah. And it directly affects the partner. And the customer as well, and, and 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 I and I and I understand that how I'm going to explain this is not uh, how Microsoft would explain this, but but I but I think this makes the most sense to people. Currently, you can license your products on a monthly basis, and you can cancel licenses at the end of any month, and you're off the hook. S- starting at, at any time during the month, you can cancel a license, not just at the correct. End. Starting uh, now, basically. Yep. Um, you can continue to run on a monthly, month, month to month, let's call it subscription term, but you're going to pay 20% more. If you want to maintain your same price, you will have to uh, sign up contract. to a one-year uh, or possibly a three-year contract if you want to lock in that, that rate for a longer period. So... It's interesting. That's but what. That's what you lock it in. Yeah, you can't really decrease licenses. You're, yeah. Yeah. If you so. commit, if you have ten Microsoft Office licenses, uh, you commit to an annual term. You're locked into those ten licenses for for a full year. Yeah. At that price, at the end of the year, you can cancel. Yeah. Uh, you know there there is an auto renew checkbox that. You know, yeah. you need to be careful on are, are, do you because if you auto renew that and you miss your term, you're now locked in for another year at ten, right. right? So, but on the other hand, if you don't auto renew and someone forgets to check, are you going to yeah. end up with a disruption because your licenses have expired or something? Now, those so. are the impacts for the customer, but I, I think there, it's a bigger impact, I'd say, for the partner. And those are pretty big impacts for the customer. Yeah, the, 20% the price increase. I don't know if you want to talk about it now, but. It definitely affects partners. Well, the way that they're designing the program and how they sell the licenses to partners who implement them on behalf of customers and, and the terms that they've put in place for partners yep. uh, is, is very... Uh, Ridiculous. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> they, I mean, that's just my opinion, but... <laughs> they have, uh, they've put a, put a tremendous amount of liability onto partners, many of which are small businesses. Um, and, and forcing them to shoulder the responsibility for customers yes. uh, who may have issues that were unanticipated or out of their control, yeah. and um, and, right. and it's uh, just uh, it's yeah. really it's frankly it, pretty unreasonable. Right, and and the thing is, I mean, you could sit back and say that everything's going to be fine and dandy, and customers going to be happy and never want to you know, sign they'll sign to your contract and never want to leave. Somewhere along the line, somebody gets pissed off and they want to leave. You know what I mean? They get upset with something. Things happen. Well, exactly. Someone new starts and they, they want to change yes. their licenses. They have a right. reason something something. So else. it's going to happen and a lot of partners are going to be on the hook. Companies go out of business. They can, right? Yes, and partners. Uh, a pandemic, a global pandemic can strike, for example. <laughs> yeah. And a, and a company's <laughs> <could> entire <laughs> business could dry up. And But but guess what? Uh, partner, you still have to pay that agreement. Yeah. Um Right, so that that's where we're at. So, that I think you know, other than uh, there is a part uh, uh, a business central partner conference called Directions in Orlando. Uh, it's happening April third through the fifth, so coming right around the corner here. Um, and and I'm guessing this this may may be a topic of discussion at the partner conference. 
Um, but in case it's not, it, uh, we probably have uh, showed our hand, our cards here yeah, a little bit. A little, a little bit. bit. Um, <laughs> but you know, come back. Uh, and like I said, maybe in a yeah. week or two, we're going to be recording another podcast where we're going to yeah. dive really deeply into these topics: the Universal Code Initiative, the partner network changes, and the commerce experience changes that are impacting. Yeah. I think. Customers and partners uh, nearly equally, right? Because we're, we're going to be fair, right? I mean, if there's positives, we'll tell you what the positives are. We're not, uh, you know what I mean. We have our own opinions or whatever, but we're still going to tell you if there's positives, and you and you, you know, you the listener, you know, formulate your own opinion on it. But yep. there just might be more negatives than positives. I don't know. It's just going to be our opinion. <laughs> exactly. All right, so. Uh, Oh, next up, where we've got Simeon White, our special guest, talking about business central user security and more specifically, permissions and role centers. Hold on, hold on. Sorry, I just dozed <laughs> off. Just kidding. Stay That's tuned. usually what happens when people uh, hear user security. But uh, I get excited for security. I, I think it's just because it makes him nervous. <laughs> Maybe. All right, so we are here uh, with Simeon White, application consultant for NAB and Business Central. And today we're going to be talking about user security uh, setup and management. And when we talk about user security, um, I think what that really is encompassing here, especially for the purposes of this discussion, is the, the setup and management of the role centers that you use. So, you know, what, what does a user see when they log in? Uh, and also the permission sets. Uh, the permission sets which control uh, specifically what a user can do once they're in there, right? So it is, it is different than the role centers, which presents certain options maybe to the users. And, and they kind of work together in, in several ways. Uh, which we're going to dive into here. So I just wanted to kind of set the stage uh, for this discussion. We're going to talk, like I said, the good, the bad, and the ugly of managing users uh, in Business Central and security. Simeon's got years of experience working with many, many companies and, and helping them set up security. So we hope that the goal of today is to provide some insights into best practices on managing security, maybe some things to avoid, or if nothing else, uh, a validation of what you may have experienced with setting up security. And, uh, right, uh, to say, you know, because I could see sometimes people might go, I can't be doing this right. Is this really what I have to do to do this? So maybe we'll, we'll at least give you some peace of mind and validation that, oh my gosh, yes, this is you know what I what I what I'm seeing here. Uh, I'm not doing something wrong. So thanks again, for Simeon, for being here. Um, and so uh, yeah, go ahead. Role centers and permissions go hand in hand. Uh, it's Ken, Kim, or Ken was just saying. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my mistake. Have another Modelo. You have another Modelo. Yeah. What What would you say that companies tend to do first? Set up a role center or, or dive into like custom permissions? Well, everybody has a role center when they start with Business Central. So let's use an example of getting into a new implementation. So you're getting into a new implementation, users are getting in for the first time, they're looking around, and 
The first thing that, not the first thing, but a, a thing early on in an implementation that people often want to see is permissions. They've heard that uh, Business Central has permissions and users can be restricted. So right off the bat, people are usually really wanting to restrict things down, lock the system down, and they come to me to do that portion of the setup. And a lot of times, it's it, that's what it is. They're really, they really want to lock things down. So the first thing I do is I tell people um, to take a step back. Take a step back and think about what you what you really want and what do you really need because people always want to lock everything down. Make sure no one can get into stuff they shouldn't touch and everything. But I want customers to ask themselves first and evaluate their what type of organization are they at? Is it five people? And what kind of system do they currently have? And what is the current security? Because often when I ask that question, um, say it's a smaller company, five or ten people. Often I'll say that, so so you really want security and everything, how secure is everything now? And oftentimes, the system's wide open currently. Everyone can get into everything. You have a lot of problems? Hmm, not, not usually. People do what they're supposed to do. They don't get into other things. So then the question turns into, do you really need security? Or do you just need to modify the role centers? And then they start thinking about it and become a little more realistic. So I want people to start out with paper. Put it on paper. What do you need? And then think about, is it what you really need? And sleep on it and come back to it. Maybe it's a 100-person organization, and they're coming from a system where they don't have security and they've had problems, or they do have security in their previous system. Then maybe they do need a little bit more. Um, but Getting back to like a smaller organization, you might just need to modify your role centers. Maybe everyone has full access and you just, uh, everyone has full access, super users to the system, but they get specific roles that give them just what they need to see on the screen. And you take away options you don't want them to see. And if they really dug for it, they could get into it, but they just don't. And that might be good enough. Um, it's not always worth going down the path of locking every single thing down and you know, spending all these hours to do this. It might not really be necessary. So I want people to evaluate first what they really need and, and then get into it. And if they do need it, which they might, then, then we'll get into it. So th think before you act. Yes. <clears throat> Put a plan in place. What are you really trying to accomplish? Yeah, it sounds great. Security. Do you want security of your house? Everyone yeah. wants security. Yes. Sure, yeah. But do you need a, a video camera on every angle of your entire home at all times, monitoring everything? Probably not. Right. So, or maybe you do. I don't know. It depends. It, it, everyone's unique. Everyone's different. So, what do you need? So, what does Mike? Well, let me ask you this: What does Microsoft provide out of the box? So, if you if it's a new Business Central implementation, and I do want to set up t my my twenty users, let's say, what what's my starting point? What does Microsoft provide sure. out of the box? So, if you go into the permission sets, you'll see that there's a lot of permission sets, maybe fifty or more, permission sets of various names. Um, BC, uh, full access, super, uh, team user. There's different permission sets that sound pretty good. There's uh, ones for accountants, one for um, external accountants, things like that. And they seem like they might be a good fit. 
um, purchasing agent one, sales representative. Those sales sound like manager. role centers. Yeah, some of those are role centers. So they've uh, they kind of created a permission set for each role center, like an equivalent? It seems like it, but not. Okay. Not really the case. So you could go to the purchasing agent role center, which is a role center, we'll define what that is. That's the look and feel of your screens. So if I put somebody in the purchasing agent role center, it's gonna show on the home screen, uh, queue tiles that have your purchase quotes, purchase orders, things that a purchase purchasing person would need to see. So the logical uh, thought is, oh, then I just need to put the purchaser in the purchasing role center, give them the purchasing permission sets, and case closed, they have everything they need. Why, and yeah, of course. Why? That sounds right. It sounds right, and that's what people think. And it has never worked. I've done maybe uh, 20, 40, 60 some implementations of permissions, and it is never, never the case because uh, each customer is unique, every business is unique, and the purchasing person almost never just strictly does out of the box purchasing exactly as defined by Microsoft. They always need a little more, or they always need a little bit less. So can I change in Business Central, can I change that purchasing role permission set to, to remove stuff and add stuff? So in, in the old system, in NAV, you could go in NAV and you could just modify permissions. Um, just like you go into objects and just modify objects and do things. In Business Central, you're no longer allowed to change any permission sets, and there's a good reason for that. Um, you can copy a permission set and then you can make changes to the copy, but you can't change the base permission set. And the good reason is when updates come out, Microsoft actually updates those permission sets for you, so you don't want to touch the base. Okay, sounds so, like a positive. <clears throat> is a role center effectively adding permissions to you when you're in that role, or is it just restricting you from seeing certain things? A role center has nothing to do with permissions, but they're very closely uh, interact with each other. So a role center is literally just the pages that you can see, the look and feel of the screens, um, the column layouts and everything. But the permissions are what allow you to actually see the data behind them. So if you don't have access via permissions to certain things on the role center, you can't use it and you, or you may not see it. Yeah, the simplest example, Michael, is the uh, there's a sales and relationship manager role center, right? That's designed for a salesperson. So when they log in, they see customers, contacts, sales quotes, opportunities, and orders and things versus a warehouse worker role center that has on the main page you log into warehouse picks, warehouse putaways, movements, things like that, receive receiving functions. So it's really just, it's the, it's what do we want to present to the user right. when they log so, in? So you could effectively have, let's say a super permission, but be under the sales and, and, and uh, manager role center yes. and still be able to access whatever you want in the system. Yeah, You're so just not seeing. Yeah, so let's use the example I can set of the warehouse worker. So the warehouse worker role center gives you access to things that the warehouse person, say they're shipping, um, needs to see to do their job every day. So say it's a small company and there's uh, two guys that work in the warehouse and they work closely with the owner and a couple people in the office. So say it's five people in the company. 
Um, and everyone knows each other. It's a small company, and everything's always been fine. They don't want to deal with security. They give everyone super user access. Everyone can technically get into everything. But the warehouse guy, he has the he has a warehouse roll center. So the things he needs to see are on the screen in front of him. That's the benefit of the roll center. I can see what I need right in front of me. Now, take that example and put it in a large company where you have numerous warehouse employees and they all have the warehouse roll center, but it's a 100-person company and you need to lock lock it down more and you don't want all these random employees going into your chart of accounts and searching for it. Then you install permissions and you yes. configure them to only give access to the things that are on the warehouse worker role center. Gotcha. Makes sense. So they should go hand in hand. They should go hand in hand. And Do you think there's any permissions that all companies should use? Um, the permission that all companies should use is a basic permission. like. And you can use the D365 basic permission set, or you can make one uh, permission set. Usually what I do for people is I give them one permission set that gives access to all code units, XML ports, and the different object types that everyone needs to touch. So when you, when you secure permissions, you're really only usually securing table data and maybe pages or reports, but mostly table data. Because if you don't have access to the table data, you can't really use any of the other objects anyway, so it doesn't matter. You might as well give everyone access to all the other objects to make it easier to manage. Yep. Gotcha. Now, does, it get, does that get tricky at all? Where, let's say that I'm, a per, I, I'm in accounts payable, mm -hmm. and so I need to enter vendor invoices. So I enter purchase invoices, I pick the vendor, and then I get down to the line, and I need to enter uh, a GL account number mm -hmm. on the on the line. Do I need to have read access to the chart of accounts. Correct. Right. So, by giving me read access to the chart of accounts, I could then go open up the chart of accounts page. You could open up the chart of accounts page and see the chart of accounts numbers, but I would restrict the GL entries so that person can't see the specific entries, which makes them not be able to print most reports, most financial reports. That's the simplest modification that I, not modification even, you're just changing a setting on a permission set, is the GL entries. Because if you lock the GL entries table so they can not read it, then they pretty much can't run any of the financial reports. That's a really helpful tip. I think. And that's the most common one that most people do because most people just don't want everyone into the, in their financials. And usually beyond that, you know, mo again, most organizations think they need to lock everything down, but when you get them in a corner, they really just don't want people into the financials usually. What percentage, um, and again, I know you've been doing this a long time and, and been, had helped mo many, many companies with this. What percent of the time do you are you able to train someone at the company, their their system administrator, and then from that point they for the most part manage all of the permission sets and user security on their own? Eighty six point five percent. No, I, I mean No, manage it on their own? No. It, 
it depends. If they want to do it, 100%. If they really want to do it and manage it, everyone can do it if they have the wherewithal and the time to do it. But I'm, not, I'm saying, actually we, we're, we're sitting here in the real world. In the real world. In the real world, what's that percentage? Probably more like 20 to 30%. Okay, that's what I was, that's what I was thinking it was. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah I, was, I, I thought it was a lower percentage. Right? The good thing is, unless you're a very a, a changing organization that is implementing the new modules and using different features, once you get it set up, everything's working, you pretty much don't have to touch it very often. Right. Maybe if you well, upgrade or if you change things. I was say, what about updates, monthly updates, minor and major updates? Does that affect permissions? So that's a bigger topic, yes. So now you're into that. So an upgrade, so say you're on-premise. We'll start there. So you're on-premise. You're on a, a version, say, 2013. You're going to upgrade to BC14. You upgrade. Um, permissions have changed in the new version. You have to compare the permissions from the old version to the new version, and there's new permissions that you have to add. So there's a bunch that you have to add. So now you get into the the BC online world where you have major and minor updates that are effectively coming out monthly, mm -hmm. you know? And that every single time you get one of those updates, that's an upgrade. For all intents and purposes, it is an upgrade. So there's permissions changes that come out with every single major and minor update. So when that happens, if people have modified their permission sets in the system, they need to now compare them to the new one. And there's there's a helpful ad, helpful things in there that they put in BC. Um, like we talked about at the beginning, you can't modify a BC permission set, a Microsoft permission set, I should say. You can copy it, and when you copy it, there's a toggle that says notify me if permissions have changed. So when you copy it, you check that box, notify me when permissions have changed, then the minor update or major update comes out, and you'll get a message on top of the permissions page, the main permissions page that says these permission sets have changed, and it'll tell you all the permission sets that have changed. Now you have your new changed one, you compare that to your custom one that you had copied before, compare the two, do a simple Excel lookup and compare the two, and you see what's changed. And then you might have to add new tables that have been added via the update to your custom permission sets. So, so that's you, a mouthful, but yeah, you do. No, it's good. So yeah. when you effectively say it's an upgrade, you mean because it's the same process as, as an upgrade, right? Where you're comparing the previous version to the next version every time another Correct. minor, minor okay. Yes, it's the same thing I do. When I do like an on-premise upgrade to another on-premise system, I'll compare the permission sets and find out what's new and see if I have to evaluate them with um, the key people of the company and decide we're putting these in your permission sets, here's the impact. Same thing, and end users can do that on their own. Um, we have a process that we've published out to, that shows people how they can compare them because this can happen on a monthly basis. So that's again one of the reasons why think about what you want to do because if if you're going to manage this on your own every month changes changes how much stuff do you really want to manage what do you really need you know you got that security system in your house you got to take care of those cameras and change the wiring and update it and do all that it's the same kind of thing and i think for the most part they try they try to you know those 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 changes to permissions 
really will accompany the introduction of new features. Yes. Right? Yeah. And those generally are the two major releases. But to his point, I think you know we have seen where Microsoft will release a new feature within a minor update. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, there, it, every new feature is not released during right. that you know one made that month of the major update. So it is possible you could run into permissions in those other months, but most of them you see in the, those major releases, which is why Microsoft created that ability to go copy your production environment to a sandbox. And, yeah. and test it against the new version because we've seen before where uh, Microsoft has made a change right mm -hmm. to, I think it was to a role center page. Yeah, so the which, change that happened before was on a minor update. Um, customer, here's the scenario. Customer calls me up, oh my gosh, my people can't get in the system. It's giving them a permissions error just when they open up Business Central. I'm going, look what's happening. Okay, Business Central is opening up, it's giving a permissions error immediately. Look, what's the table? What's the effect? Um, find out that it is a splash screen that pops up first on top of the role center when you navigate to Business Central saying, here's a new feature, how you can upgrade uh, Great Plains to Business Central. So something that most people running Business Central probably are not interested in. So then I just go in and I add the tables that feed that page into the permission set and everything's fine. But to Ken's point, you can do that evaluation before the major or minor updates come out and figure out what tables are going to be added to the system. And you can add them to permission sets before the update even comes out and avoid all this. And it's not that that's not even that big of a process. It might take half an hour to one hour to do it, maybe two max. It's not a big deal, but you got to stay on top of it. Yeah. Um, I think Microsoft has kind of is kind of getting away from that practice of putting things directly as the very first page. I hope they are because yeah. it's, it's kind of bothersome. I'll bet you know one of the things that's great about Business Central Online is that you know it in the on-premise world when Microsoft would do things like that, it was the partners who had to deal with. The customers and, and help them resolve things and I think in Business Central Online they're appearing directly from end users and customers submitting support requests yeah and and hearing and seeing directly from them therefore ex understanding more the impact yeah. that certain things are having and able to change and adapt to how they do things more quickly because they're seeing firsthand uh, certain things that are happening, and I've seen that in a couple different instances. Sure, where it's it's changing how they approach things. It's good though when they're releasing it, right? Oh yeah, it's good for everybody. The tailoring right so it works for everybody as opposed to yeah. I could imagine when that update came out, it must have impacted anybody who was using that role center, which was a gen pretty general role center. I don't remember the name, and a pretty general permission set. It was the the main one that most people use and. Must have happened to a lot of people, and when we got the call, it was early in the morning, and jumped on it right away and figured out what it was. But I gotta imagine a lot of people, a lot of end users, logged in with custom permissions and got that, and then you're down. You're down for hours, potentially days, until it's fixed. Do either of you know if Microsoft is still adding like new out of the box role centers to to Business Central? I haven't heard anything in a while. 
don't know if they're adding new ones. There's about 30 yeah. or so out there that are available. I remember it jumped from like 10 to 30. To now, not all of them. When you go into Business Central and you pick, uh, pick to go choose a roll center, you don't see them all. Correct. Because they're not all flagged to be visible in the Explorer or mm -hmm. or they may not be enabled. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if you go into the profiles page, I think, or roles page, you can see that some of them are not enabled or are not visible in the role Explorer, which means that they're they, they're not effectively enabled or in use. Yeah, I, I like to start with the role centers and whenever it's a new implementation or a new use of this functionality, I always tell people, pick a role center for every single person based on what their role is in the company, assign it to them, set the other ones to not visible so you don't see it or maybe you do want some of them to be seen. Um, I also uh, put user groups in place. User groups are a new feature that came out a few versions back in NAV and user groups are it's basically a record where you can tie together users with permission sets and a role all in one. So a good example would be a new person starts in the company. Uh, you give them you give them access to your system. They get a login. You put their user in a user group, and that they instantly get all the permissions and the role center they need and everything. And that's it. You don't have to go to the user card and assign it and all that. You just drop them in a user group. So an organization maybe that has 30 or 40 salespeople, you you just set them up, set up a salesperson role or, or permission set or yep. group. Sorry, group. Yep. User a group. user group. Yep. And uh, got to get the terminology straight. <laughs> yeah. You set up a salesperson user group and then that basically gives them everything they need. So there's no uh, differences. It's consistent. It's yes. quick and simple. And, and an administrator should be modifying these role centers. You can go to the, the roles page and customize the role center. When you're customizing the role center, what you're doing is taking fields off they don't need to see, taking buttons and functions off they don't need to see the people in that role, cleaning it up, moving queue tiles around, doing different things like that just to make the role match better for everybody. And when you make those customizations, as soon as you press done, every single person who has that role gets those changes automatically. So you can really get your organization locked down. Everyone's in the role. Everyone sees the same things. Everyone's got the same permissions. Now, Business Central is out-of-the-box user groups, right? Correct. Yep. With? Do you have like a conflict with those when you're creating user groups or no? No. I, I like to, to create user groups that are the same name as the role center. And then I make, if I'm doing custom permissions, I'll make one main permission set. When I copy the permission set, I'll give it a name that's the same name as the role. So everything is the same. And then, you know, sometimes we'll look at certain customers uh, and see that they have a lot of permission sets. To me, less is more. Have as very few permission sets as you could possibly have. You have one main permission set, maybe one that has some basic permissions, and then any permission sets from any add-in providers that you're using. And that's it. You don't need a bunch of different permission sets. It makes it more hard to manage. So let me throw, I'm going to kind of challenge you a little bit here. You, I think you provided like a lot of really, I think, great tips and tricks and, mm -hmm. got, and help and, and how to do it. So one of the common scenarios that we see, especially 
in a, in a small, smaller implementation, right? You have a lot of people who, who really have to get, they get their hands in a lot of different things. Yep. They're, they do some purchasing, they do some sales, they check sure. inventory, maybe they're doing some manufacturing. Um, but, but they go, I, I don't want them to see my financial statements. I don't want them to see GL budgets. I don't want them to get into my GL entries. Um, what is, what's the quick and dirty way to set that up? Or is there a quick and dirty way to effectively set that up? Um, so, so let's say we have five people in sales, we have five people in purchasing, and then there's two people that cross over into both areas. So those two people will each both have the sales permission set and the purchasing permission set. So they can, they can do both of those things. And then you just take those permission sets and you take away the access to the GL entries. And that pretty much locks them down to not see. But you can't you can't you can't just remove the GL entries uh, table data from the the main role because you can't change those. So you have to you, you would copy I would copy it and copy give it, it a separate name. And then remove yeah. then you can remove the GL entries. Correct. And then yep. assign that to them. Yep. Okay. And I would do it through a user group. So it goes in a user group. So often you'll have like uh, sales you know a user group called you know general sales and then uh, super sales, meaning they can do more things. Maybe they cross over into purchasing or you have different levels of salespeople. So bigger organizations, they'll have numerous roles for each functional area and each one can do different things. So why wouldn't you create a user group for every time you have to modify a person's permission? For each person? Mm -hmm. um, you wouldn't do that because then because people should be in groups. You would do that if every single one of them was completely unique, but they're typically not. Right, so right, a user group, right, isn't it where you assign somebody a user group and effectively they get whatever permissions you assign to that group? Yes. So I would imagine instead of just modifying the permission for everybody, why wouldn't you just create a user group each time and then when you get somebody new, eventually you can just add them to that particular user group. That's what you. you That's what be. he's saying. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm you not know, saying you're saying add it every time. What, well, you, you don't only create have to a user group once. every time you modify permissions for a person, right? No. So you. So create, I would say every time you modify permissions for somebody, why don't you create a user group? No, you create a user group. Well, a user group is just a name. Say the user group is called salespeople, mm -hmm. and then you put multiple people in the user group for sales, for salespeople, and you put whatever permission sets that user group needs. Now when you need to modify permissions, you go modify the permission set. Once. Once only. And that affects every single one of those salespeople. If you open up those salespeople's cards, you'll see the permission sets change on their cards dynamically. You don't have to do anything. So you can take, if you go, whoa, I'm taking this permission set away from all the salespeople, you take that one permission set out of the user group one time it immediately gets removed from everybody. That's the power of the user group. So, you know, you're going to add someone to the company, you just drop them in the user group. They get the role center. They get all the permission right, so sets associated with I'm that user group. What I'm saying is you go to a company and you've got 10 employees, right? Mm -hmm. And you've got one in sales, one in purchasing, one in whatever. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. probably wouldn't create a user group for each one. 
right? You would just modify the permission for each person. If you have one person yeah. in each I'm department? Saying, every time you, you, you're going to make a custom permission set for per person, why don't you just create a user group? Because in the future, you might just be able to add somebody to it. So I'm saying, wouldn't it be beneficial to create a user group every time you're going to create? Not every I'm, time. I mean, you're not going to, every time isn't going to happen a lot. How long does it take to create a user group? One second. New. You're pressing new. You're, and you're making your, my case. There's your user group. <laughs> well, but Michael, the most time, most likely scenario, though, in those types of organizations is that when you hire a second person, that that second person is not going to get the exact same permissions as that other person that's been there for five years is yeah. going to have. You're going to want to limit them a little bit. So it, it gets to be where the, the fewer people you have, the right. less the benefit of the user groups is. Yeah. Our example of 20 salespeople is, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, is, gotcha. is clear. And even if you had 20 salespeople but four of them needed some additional permissions, what I would do is you'd, you'd, you'd keep the user group less, right? So that applies to all 20. And then add a new, add a new user group for the four mm -hmm. and then assign that group to just the four people. Yeah, so I do that. And even if the organization has three people, I still use user groups. No matter what, I always use user groups because I do not want anybody going into the user card and touching the permissions on the user card. Because often something will happen, a support case comes up, we don't know how this person has all this access or whatever the case may be, and I go, well, you're using user groups, but oh, if I look at their user card, someone's manually added permission sets to the user's user card. So I don't even show people how to do that anymore. Use a user group, whatever you want these people to be in the user group, even if it's just one person, add it to the user group, and that's it, that's just the rule. And then for Ken's example, where you have a salesperson who has all this access and a new person starts and they're gonna have a little bit less, but a lot of the same access as the higher person, I would go to that permission set, copy it, give it a name that signifies that it's a little bit less. When you copy it, you get every single permission and then you just take out a few lines. Take out the few things you don't want them to see and then make your new user group, call it salesperson two. And then you add the permission set there, add the person to it, and that's it. I always always use user groups, and I always make them as small and defined as possible. Um, that said, uh, you can a person can have multiple user groups, and a user group can obviously have multiple permission sets. And so it is very flexible, especially when you get in the case where, okay, you have a half your company's sales, the other half's purchasing except for this one person in the middle who does both. Give them both user groups. Now they can do both. So what happens if in one user group they have permissions to do something, mm -hmm. and then they're in another user group where they don't have permissions to do that? Which wins? Um, with permissions, the highest permission always wins. So It's additive. It's yeah. additive. You have to have it existing for it to, to work. Yeah, so if you have permission to the sales header table, in one user group and another permission, another user group doesn't have access to that table, you'll still have it. Gotcha. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and say, use the word tedious here. Yeah. That, right, is right. that a good word? It can be. Yeah. It sounds tedious, sure. right? Yeah. Which is why you, the number you say 20% of customers are able to fully manage security on their own. Mm -hmm. um, you also said that you can kind of set it and forget it. Mm -hmm. in a lot of cases, right? So 
it's something that if you get it set up well at the beginning, you've tra- you, uh, you, you've got it set up. No one's looking at it. No one's really thinking about it. Correct. And then at some point in the future, they want to make changes. No one remembers right. even how it was set up. Or the other thing I'm getting is there's there's options. You could use user groups. You could not use user groups. You could assign table data strategies or just or page and reports. Mm-hmm. So what that tells me is that two different people could approach security from two different ways. One way is not necessarily right or wrong. Correct. That, that you know, when you see that it was set up this way, that it's really not fair to say, well, that was the wrong way to set it up. That's correct. That was just how they set it up. Correct. And you may have a different appearance. We see this in programming quite a bit mm-hmm. where, where the two developers take – you know, two different approaches to something, you end up with the same result, but it's like, why'd you do it that way? Well, it doesn't really matter That's you get the, the same result, it. right? Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm hearing that it's tedious, that there are options available, um, and that you do have to put some thought into it, right? So... Sounds like it could get complicated, too. Michael? That's why I, I'm focusing on doing it as simply as you can, as little as you need. Start you, small. Start small. And keep it as small as you possibly can. Another thing, um, you might make changes in permissions over time. Something might happen. I always push customers to keep a log. Keep an Excel spreadsheet somewhere on a network drive that shows. <laughs> <laughs> so says you. But keep a, wants to do that. Keep a list of every single thing you've changed. Because you've copied this permission set for a reason. If you've copied it and made it a custom one, you've done that for a reason to change something. Now you need to make changes to it. And you're taking tables out of it. You're changing different permission levels. Just keep a keep a spreadsheet that says, I took away read access to table 18 for this permission set. That's it. Keep it all. Yeah. So when your updates come along or your, up, up, your upgrade comes along, you realize and remember, oh yeah, I did change all these four things. Easier said than done, I know. And yes, people do permissions different ways. Uh, another thing that I see a lot that makes it good to keep it small, if you look at one permission set, it'll have access to the sales header. If you look at another permission set, it'll have the same access. A lot of permission sets have the same access in them. So when you try to secure something, if you have a lot of permission sets, you gotta go through each one. Mm and rip out out of each one of them so i just want one yeah it's way easier sage sage advice <laughs> michael you've got some questions for simeon i do <clears throat> we're gonna end on this one buddy so you got five yes or no questions okay, okay. speed round everybody knows the rules you answer only yes or no you ready number one five years ago did you believe that cloud software would be the wave of the future yes is green your favorite colored m M&M? Yes. I'm sure Business Central is going to expand its use of artificial intelligence in the future. Will this require less permissions to be used? No. Are German Shepherds the best dog breed known to mankind? Yes. Do you recommend Business Central users to always contact their Microsoft partner when setting up custom permissions? Yes. There it is. 100%. 100%. I don't know. The Maybe M&M 80, the M&M, yeah. Yeah, that was... <laughs> 
Thank All you. Right. Yeah, thank you again for joining us. Yeah. I, I think uh, you gave a lot of great, great advice and guidance on setting up permission sets, and hopefully, just spark some uh, some ideas in people's minds. Yeah, they are tedious, and there's a lot to them. That's why, and even this is a big session. So I would say keep it simple. Thank you, Sam. All right. Thank you so much. Next up, we're gonna do a quick wrap up of everything. So stick around. Okay, it's that time again to wrap up episode 36. First off, I want to start by saying thank you, Mr. Simeon White, for uh, schooling us on BC security and permissions and role centers and all that good stuff. We truly appreciate it. You, uh, you've been a fun guest. Thanks, Michael. And uh, let's see what else we got here. We got 2022 Wave 1 updates coming. Uh, they should start rolling out April 1st, so before we actually do our next podcast, next official podcast, episode 37, uh, you should start seeing those. And be on the lookout for Ken and I. We're going to do a special podcast on the Microsoft changes that will be affecting partners and customers coming up here within the next uh, week or two. And to close it out, we've got to rate one of the best beers ever constructed, Modelo. I'll go first. I'm giving it a high rating. Uh, I'm going 99. 99. 99 yep. That's definitely your highest ranking, and it's yep. much higher than the 94 you gave to Corona. Yes. Well, I like Modelo a little bit better. There you go. It's probably my favorite beer that I've ever had. So I'm going to go 91. Again, I, I may have to revamp my whole rating system yeah. because I've kind of pigeon myself, pigeonholed myself yeah. now into this... Uh, Ranking because it's definitely I like it better than a summer shandy or a fat tire, um, but I do not like it as much as a Carlsberg Danish Pilsner. So I'm right in that ninety one is uh, where this is going to fall. Nice, so man. So if it's below fifty, fifty or below, means you can't drink, you can't finish it. Fifty and above. Ooh, well, he's already had more than that. Yeah, so. so he's not going below fifty. I'll give it a ninety five. 95. Guys it's a high ranking. Yeah. It's a high ranking, yeah. I like it. It's a good beer. It's usually what I like. I like it. Well done, Michael. Good choice this month. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit lighter than usual. So, All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. As always, share the podcast, like it on whatever platform you listen to, and we'll look forward to talking to you next month. And Ken? Bye-bye. As we end today's podcast, we want to give a big thank you to everyone who listens, shares this podcast, and leaves us reviews. You've taken a good amount of your time out of your day, and we truly appreciate it. Thanks again, and uh, don't be afraid to email us at marketing at solsyst.com with your tips for the podcast, or maybe you'd even like to be a guest during an episode.